Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris and I'm here with Patrick. Hello. And I'm here with Steven. Hooah! <laughs> and that's right. This week we watched the Al Pacino classic, The Devil's Advocate. But before we get into that, uh, you know, we like to catch up on what everybody's been doing, how they've been spending the last two weeks. Has anybody done anything uh, horror related uh, since we last spoke? Not me. I have actually. Not, I haven't really been watching much horror, but I've been reading some horror lately, specifically graphic novels. Um, still been making my way through Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing, which is fuck um, yeah, good shit. Yeah, it just gets better the deeper that I get into it. And I also recently um, dug into the horror manga Death Note uh, and was kind of completely transfixed by that i picked up like the these big thick uh they call them the black editions and they collect several volumes of the series in one so it's like i don't remember how many pages but it was a thick boy and uh man i just blazed through that the story of a kid who picks up a uh, journal owned by basically a death demon and he can write the name of anybody he wants in it and kill them. And this kid is kind of, um, kind of a psychopath, um, genius level intellect and starts, uh, you know, kind of developing a God complex around being able to kill off whoever he wants and also being able to evade the police who are trying to figure out why all these people are just dropping dead. Uh, for no reason so just really dug that and i'm excited to keep making my way through the series so are you telling us patrick are you are you showing your hand here for your pick at the end of this episode um you know i don't know i was i was saying before i've got an index card right here it's a three by five and i've got 10 movies on it that could be my pick at the end of the episode is death note on there not sure but yes as you point out death note is also a netflix original film or as we like to call it around here n film <laughs> chris what about you any anything horror related going on in your life no actually i i'm scra- i'm digging deep to try to think of something but i think i've been pretty uh pretty Dude, lazy ray skywalker what ray oh, skywalker ray rivera uh yeah i i you know kind of kept the true crime kick going and watched uh, a few episodes of the new unsolved mysteries and man some of these some of these cases the first episode in particular on the new netflix season made me scratch my head that was i that's the only one i've seen so far and that was pretty mind-blowing pretty it was baffling. pretty good pretty good i've i've heard that maybe in real life the case actually was a little more clear-cut than suggested in the episode but i don't know i think um i think there was some shit going on foul play at least foul play at least anyway who just i mean the real runaway groom situation there tantalizing stuff Loved it. I, I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about it because if people are interested in unsolved mystery, they should just watch the episode. I don't need to. I don't need to spoil any of the bizarre or grisly or tragic details. I mean, Chris specifically challenged me to uh, watch this episode and tell him if Ray Rivera. I, I don't know what, what. What am I supposed to determine? You're supposed to tell me what happened to him. Oh, just what happened. Okay, yeah. 
I guess yeah. I need to get on that. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I lied. I do have a horror thing. Uh, I watched. I, I'm, I've fallen behind already, but I watched the first episode of Lovecraft Country on HBO. Oh, I've been meaning to catch and up to that. I had pretty high hopes, even though I hadn't heard. I mean, the book was well reviewed, but I don't know anyone who's read it who really liked it. Um, it's kind of a critical darling, but but I, apparently, people who actually like, you know know their sci-fi and horror and all that stuff didn't think it was all that great thought it was kind of a mess uh, at least the friends i i have in my circle and the show kind of felt that way for me as well there's some promise i mean this is no spoiler but in the first scene you get classic you know orson wells war of the world's ufos in world war ii uh, like in a, on a on a battleground, and also you see Cthulhu within the first two minutes. He looks fucking awesome, and Jackie Robinson splits him in half with a baseball bat. Oh I mean, like what a very strong, colorful, splashy opening. I didn't really find any of the characters all that interesting, and I found some of the setup to be a little bit hokey. And the special effects didn't really hold up all that well either. But uh, I'm curious. I'll I'll never, I mean, it was strange enough that I'm not going to judge it based on the first episode. So I'll report back once I catch up on it. I wish they would just let me reboot Goosebumps for HBO as a prestige drama. (laughs) Uh, uh, Do do we have time to hear your pitch on that? I mean, it would just, uh, you'd take like some like neighborhood kids, like an encyclopedia Brown type character. And he goes around trying to solve mysteries of like, what was it walking at midnight? And why does everyone say it looked like a scarecrow or like, (laughs) you know, was the mask really haunted? I don't know. It could be great. Could be great. It has to grapple with social issues somehow though. Oh, it will. It will. (laughs) RL Stein. Call me. (laughs) So, we might as well get into the main attraction yeah. here. What the hell did we watch this week? <laughs> oh, yeah. Chris, great question for you. So, you know, we now that we have autonomy on the show, uh, we like to ask, why did you pick this movie? Because it just seemed... Why seems, not? Yeah, why not? That's the not? better question. It's, it seemed like it was going to be a great time. Now, I have seen... I think I saw this whole movie before, but I can't for the life of me place when or under what circumstances <laughs> I might have been half asleep or something at the time when I watched it because this, I, this was almost a completely fresh experience for me on the rewatch. But there were a couple moments where I was like, I remember this. I remember that. I remember this, um, but still a lot of surprises for me. Um, so Dude, it's so funny. I've like talked to multiple people about having watched this movie and it's weird how much it seems to be sort of like imprinted on the collective consciousness. Cause I'll mention it and people are like, Oh yeah, I remember that one. Or like, uh, they didn't see it, but still just there's, there's something people just remembered this one. It was a big movie. I mean, it made, I mean, I, I've learned that these numbers are usually wrong uh, or not, not entirely accurate. But according to everything I've read on the Internet, this movie made $158 million at the box office. Mm. I mean, that's, that's pretty big. You've got Keanu Reeves riding high early in his career. You've got fucking Al Pacino as the titular devil. I can understand why this thing was sort of a big splash when it came out. Yeah. Like, I remember it coming out even though I had never seen it as a kid. And I remember hearing about certain moments of it as a kid. Like, oh, you've got to see this movie. 
Well, and also crazy because like you have Charlize Theron, which I mean, if this movie had come out 10 years today or, or 10 years, five years even later than it did, like the star power of this would have been amped up so much. But it was wild when I was when you and I were talking about this the other night, Steve, and I realized this was only Charlize Theron's fifth film appearance ever. So she was not. I don't think necessarily any kind of a name at this point, but it's, it's, it's high wattage. Oh yeah. It's a very simple premise. They pretty much give it away in the title. You have Keanu Reeves playing a, uh, very talented defense attorney in Florida. And we see him in the opening moments of the movie, um, getting a, a pedophile off the hook, um, using some, maybe unethical tactics. And he's so good at that, that he gets approached by a very prestigious, very powerful, very wealthy New York law firm headed by Al Pacino, who we know. And this is interesting because it's like, they don't reveal this until the very end of the movie, but you know, just based on the title of the movie and the marketing, I'm sure that he's the devil. (laughs) Um, there's no mystery to that, like, to what's going on here. So we're, and that's really where the suspense of the movie comes from because Keanu Reeves is working. He, he's basically, it's very similar to like the firm with Tom Cruise or the John Grisham novel. If you've read that, uh-huh. uh, yeah. you know, a, a young lawyer gets recruited into, uh, uh, the job of his dreams at the law firm of his dreams. Uh, it starts to chip away at his soul, starts to chip away at his family. He starts to realize that there's a lot of, of disturbing stuff going on underneath the surface. Only here it's the devil it's literally the devil yeah i wonder if there was anyone who walked into the theater taking the title as taking the title not literally but just as referring to a maximum being like oh keanu reeves is going to be you know forced into a position where he has to advocate for you know someone who's a real bad guy and then they were actually shocked when it turned out to be the literal devil if so i want to meet that person you'd have to be a real dumb dumb i mean like we should say Al Pacino's character's name is John Milton, for God's mm. sake. It could not be more on the nose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and that's really where, like, I was thinking about my, my criticism of Splice when I watched this movie, where I was like, it, it takes a while, in my opinion, for Splice to really tell you what the conflict is. And in this movie, it's kind of structured the same way, where if you didn't know Al Pacino was the devil, you'd be like, well, what's the point of this movie? But because it's clear he's the devil, it's like the bomb under the bed, basically. We know something Keanu Reeves doesn't know, mm-hmm. and we can enjoy all the little winks and stuff that the movie makes to, to show you his devil ways <laughs> i don't oh, know think... al, al pacino's performance is like one giant aggressive wink too <laughs> i thoroughly enjoyed it like from the moment you meet him you i you just get the sense that he is larger than life he's not an ordinary human being well yes i mean it is al pacino for but sure i don't <laughs> i don't think the movie would lack conflict if not for the satan threat i mean it's still a fairly compelling story you know this guy who gets caught up in uh dirty dealings and and getting in too far over his moral head i guess as uh as a way to advance his career i think like the satan shit is just the big campy horror cherry on top like i mean this still works if it's if it is just the firm, which I haven't seen, but I mean, you say that it's, you know, essentially the same plot. I mean, I think the same basic concept still works. Like the Satan thing is just the way to take it to the next fucking 
nine levels, you know? <laughs> I like that. Um, it's, it's so, it's such a weird movie and I'm trying to place it in its context historically. Cause like John Grisham was huge at the time this movie came out. This uh-huh. movie almost feels like a deliberate satire of John Grisham. Um, it was also happened shortly after the OJ Simpson trial, which kind of, uh, speaks to the, I guess, political argument the movie might be trying to make about the legal system and or defense attorneys, um, which I'm sure we can talk about later. Um, so I just thought, I thought it's kind of interesting as a historical piece where it seems like it's kind of a countercultural item, um, just based on what else was going on in the nineties. Well, I just, I remember, you know, as a, as a kid and watching a lot of comedy central and understanding half of it because of however old I was like lawyer jokes were like really peaking. I feel like in like the mid to late nineties, you know, and this, and I think part of that is just because of the prevalence of legal thrillers in film and in literature, literature in quotes, if we're talking John Grisham and this movie definitely seems to be picking piggybacking onto that and trying to take it to a different level, you know, I mean, this is essentially like if John Grisham wrote Rosemary's baby. Exactly. (laughs) And you know what? It's, it's so John Grisham because they make Keanu Reeves go through the whole movie with a Southern accent, basically just because John Grisham sets his novels in the South. I think I, I wouldn't say, uh, I wouldn't say as a Southern accent for the whole movie. I would say as a Southern (laughs) accent when he's, when he gets loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that too. I don't know that he makes it through quite the whole movie with that accent. It, well, speaking of Keanu Reeves doing poor accents, it kind of feels like a spiritual sequel to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of that movie a lot during this too. You got Keanu Reeves going around in suspenders with an accent, playing a, a legal person, being seduced by someone who's obviously the devil but not realizing it mm-hmm. you have plenty of sex plenty of nudity plenty of really uh semi campy monster shit um it, it's just it's just extra in a way that bram stoker's dracula also is well and if if, if we're gonna make if we're gonna compare this to bram stoker's dracula i mean it then then that makes al pacino dracula and he even has his brides to tempt keanu reeves in yeah. certain scenes very mm. similar yeah yeah i just i i love I, I mean, obviously, there, there are various things to talk about, but I just want to start from the literal beginning. I love the opening scene of this movie. I mean, what a way to throw you into the action, tell you immediately who this character is, uh, why he's good at what he does, how he's good at what he does. Um, I thought it was terrific, other than the sort of silly uh, note with the pedophile, like, basically simulating the way that he had touched this girl, like, replicating that motion with his hand under the the desk in the courtroom and this being like the tip off to to Keanu that this guy actually is a pedophile that was a little much but otherwise love that whole opening sequence it just throws you right in and tells you everything you need to know very quickly and um grippingly I had a I I, I'm not gonna lie I had a hard time figuring out what the molester was actually doing in that scene really um yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't really tell because you get like this stray shot of like his foot like covering Keanu's briefcase and he's like touching on the table and I'm like, Keanu seems like like 
he's reacting as if there might be a gun under the table. And oh, like, no. I, I think the briefcase was supposed to be he's getting his whole reputation trashed by this witness, and he wants Keanu to do something, and he's kicking the suitcase, which I assume was, like, full of money or something. Well, he's literally, like, acting out what the witness is describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah later her. on, later on, but... Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, just, the, I, little, the little footsie thing I, I was also briefly confused by. It's a little weird, but it's just a great opening scene. We should mention as well, you know, this movie has an amazing supporting cast, and the little girl on the stand who uh, may or may not have been molested by this guy is played by the lead from Todd Solon's Welcome to the Dollhouse, which I found kind of fascinating. She's not been really in a lot of movies. Um, I don't know. thought it was cool to see see her on screen. She's a good little character actor. She looked familiar to me, but I couldn't I couldn't place her. Maybe she just looked familiar to me because I watched this whole movie like ten years ago when I was half asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so um there we, we have a little victory party after that. We meet Charlie's Theron, who is uh uh Keanu Reeves wife, right? They are married. Yep, they are married. Um, we also meet Keanu Reeves' uh mother, who is uh uh, just kind of a good old Southern church going Trump lady. Voter. Trump straight ticket <laughs> Republican voter. <laughs> um, I actually really liked the dynamic and just the relationship between uh, the Lomaxes. That's their name. Yeah. Uh, the our, our lead is I forget his first name, but Keanu and 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 Charlie is Kevin, right? Kevin, yeah, there you go. Kevin and, Lomax, good strong name. And, and I really liked the dynamic between them. They had good chemistry. I felt like it was a, a real relationship, and I felt invested in that pretty quickly. It was. It felt like a real... That's so interesting you say that, because I felt the same thing, that it felt like a real relationship, but I also felt like these two people are both, like, at least in those opening scenes, I'm like, they are both pieces of garbage. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I am not interested in seeing them... Uh, do anything less than the devil's work and the rest of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, now we get into what I kind of had a problem with kind of throughout the movie, which is that the uh, relationship between um, Keanu Reeves and, and Charlize Theron, who are husband and wife, I just thought was un- the, that plot line I just thought was underdeveloped or just boring. I don't know, but that's really the, the heart and the conflict of the whole movie is. And yeah. like every time we had a scene where Charlie Theron's moping around, I just wanted to get back to, and maybe this is how I was supposed to feel. I don't know. I just wanted to get back to like uh, Keanu camping it up with Al Pacino. I was like, I don't want to do this chore of like her sitting in the window moping is not nearly yeah. as interesting to me as anything else in this movie. That stuff did feel a little um, hackneyed, I guess, to me, and a little dull in the writing, but I thought that um, both of them, especially Charlize, um, kind of livened it up and, and made it more interesting to me than it would have been if maybe anyone else had done it. Well, their performances are, are really great, I think. Even Keanu, who you know can be <laughs> kind of checked out at times. Like I, yeah. I actually really... He seemed to actually be having a lot of fun with this movie, and he does some weird, quirky stuff in a couple of scenes. How could like, you not have point. fun with this movie? I mean, this movie seems like nothing but fun from everybody. But my 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 kind of problem with the Charlize Theron character is, you know, uh, again back to the like Rosemary's Baby analog. Um, I, I, 
she still has like the same concerns as like a sidelined female character in the 60s except in the mid to late 90s like i so what i'm interested in is what does she want she just wants to make babies and she wants to have a nice looking apartment and it feels so reductive that i couldn't really connect with that character on the level that i wanted to no but she also wants a purpose she gets upset and she talks about how she's not working and they're just there for his job and that's bothering her which i appreciated okay you're right there is that but we don't really see her get any opportunities to explore that maybe that's part of the drama part of the horror right i think it's because like everybody in the house everybody in the firm is like trying to drive her nuts and is basically trying to keep her down i mean the one neighbor lady is purposely trying to complicate her like house decorating mission you know, she that's keeps... true, and that's a really fun sequence. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, those little but... swatches of paint covering the screen. Well, that and also just like no shade of green is right enough for her complexion. You yeah. know, it's just like <laughs> driving her fucking crazy. Yeah, like that's cool too. But like, she never really. We, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but like, she doesn't really ever triumph. Her 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 predicament only gets worse as the thing goes. So I, I just couldn't really understand what their connection was like what Keanu Reeves saw in her why he married her I I didn't really feel the connection I could definitely understand why Keanu Reeves would want to date say Christabella who's the femme fatale kind of at the law firm that he fantasizes Mm -hmm. about throughout the movie and it's like I feel like I understand Keanu as a character Kevin, but I think Kevin Lomax I, I don't have a problem with Keanu being interested in Charlize Theron I I wondered why Charlize Theron would be interested in Keanu. But they because were both he's so kind clearly, of... Sorry, go ahead. He's, he's so clearly a megalomaniac. And so, like, like you know, he needs control. He needs space. He has trouble with intimacy. That That's what confused me more than his interest in her. But let's not forget, she's deeply unscrupulous, too. I mean, they're two peas in a pod. And the story is about how each of them reacts as they start to get into deeper shit that forces them to confront their own moral shortcomings. Ah, mm. uh, I don't know. It just, uh, it, it didn't She's... make me, I wasn't rooting for them to stay together, I guess. And the movie kind of doesn't work on some level. If you would rather see Keanu tearing it up at the law firm than staying with his wife. But, other than that, let's talk about everything else. <laughs> yeah, we should we should move on. We should move on. Complicated because, relationships. Is there there another right. significant character in this movie? Because we are we are kind of getting bogged down right now in in the the drama drama subplot. But the the meat of this movie is just pure entertainment with with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino raising hell literally and figuratively. Oh my god, I want to fucking pal around with al pacino in new york for the rest of my life <laughs> for the rest of every my minute of every day <laughs> and i'm i was wondering like it, it was just so much fun and i don't know at no point even through the end of this movie did i want keanu to break his relationship with al pacino <laughs> I was excited. I was like, the things they could accomplish together if he really goes through with it. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, Satan, 
Satan as portrayed in this movie is sweet. I mean, other than the time that he brutally rapes Charlize Theron, which is definitely a big bummer that kind of doesn't really fit in with the tone of everything else. No, he's a, he's a total creep whenever he gets, when he's near women, um, which I don't know why it sounds like I'm going to give him a pass for that. I'm not, but excluding those scenes, Al Pacino is just like a fucking bright light in this otherwise kind of, kind of, kind of cold movie. He's, he's clearly having so much fun. He's so seductive and not in a way that's like always obviously evil either. Like it seems like the devil really enjoys being in a man's skin and getting to know humans and what their lives are like. Like there's a really great scene where um, uh, uh, Pacino, uh, when, when uh, Keanu like first meets him and Pacino takes him out to his fucking terrifying like waterfall infinity pool rooftop infinity pool it's what you call that yeah skyscraper rooftop infinity pool i i got vertigo during that scene multiple times but it was i don't know i was i was very charmed by pacino in that scene like i felt like if i was in keanu's shoes i'd work with this guy too yeah, I mean, yeah. His, his bottom line isn't, like, evil as much as I think it's just, like, pleasure and sin and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what the hell's wrong with that? What the hell's wrong with that? I, it kind of... I, the other movie this kind of reminded me of is one of my favorite movies, Goodfellas, where you kind of got that chaotic sense of, like... Man, I'm in the club. I'm I'm having a great life. Everything's going my way. Look at all these charismatic friends I have, and you kind of know it's all gonna fall apart uh, by the end. The difference is like versus Goodfellas or versus like The Wolf of Wall Street, which kind of attempts to do the same thing in some ways. Like, like there's never, I never had reservations about what they were doing at the law firm. I, I never was like, this is actually fucked up, even though it appears to be fun, like you get with a, with a Scorsese movie. Um, and I think that might just Wait, come... you didn't you, you didn't think that, like, Jeffrey Jones fucking having a midnight shredding session and, like, burning all his documents, you didn't think there's anything wrong with that? I mean, it was intellectually illegal, but it, it didn't, like, <laughs> you know, incredibly offend me. But I, th- I think that might just be because politically I have a different view on defense attorneys than this movie does. And I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what your takes on that are, because I feel like this movie really kind of preaches that it's immoral to defend a pedophile in court if you know he's guilty. But that's really what our whole system of law is based on. And you need to have uh, that adversarial relationship in a courtroom to have any semblance of justice. Um, And so that kind of bothered me. That's true. I think you and I are on the same page there. And I did find it very interesting that this movie took a moral stance on that issue. I don't really know what to make of that, given the, the larger picture of this film. Like, I understand the excess and the vanity and his lust for power and neglecting his wife and everything leading to ruin. But the movie pretty unambiguously is like, no, you make a choice to defend guilty people. Therefore your soul is compromised. Um, and again, this is coming out of the wake of the OJ Simpson trial, which might inform some of that. Um, but I mean, you look at the O.J. Simpson trial and it's like, you know, it, it, oh, if O.J.'s guilty, 
you still can't have like juries convicting people when you need to have a defense. <laughs> you need to have a competent, every defendant's entitled to a competent defense because sure. it's no more correct to have like a overtly racist LAPD detective, like fucking with evidence to get a conviction on OJ Simpson. than it is to let him off when he didn't do it. It's not a political movie. It's a movie about vanity. But if, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for themes, they're not particularly deep. The theme is just about vanity and whether this guy is going to learn a lesson about his own vanity and what he'll do to pursue it. Yeah, it works. It works on that level. But I, I think the the defense attorney stuff cannot be ignored. There's a reason that he's a, def- a criminal defense attorney and not yeah. a prosecutor. I would I would be very interested. I, I like I don't think the movie makes it makes that angle like as deep as it possibly could be. I'm really interested to read the book this was based on though. So speaking of that, what this would, is but what would a vanity prosecution be? How could you demonstrate the same character trait if he was a prosecutor? Why can't a prosecutor be just as like career driven as a defense attorney? I'm sure they can be, but how are you going to demonstrate that? I don't know. Probably the same way you would, would demonstrate here. Um, primal fear isn't primal fear about a prosecutor who has the same sort of a uh, same sort of thing, or is he a defense attorney too? I don't I know. Seen it. I have a vague recollection of the VHS cover for that, and that's about it. Yeah. Well, it's neither here nor there. But you talk about the book, Stephen. Um, the movie. There, that, I know there were some changes made, and I, I think you're about to get into. Oh it, no, I'm you? not going to get into that. What I'm going to get into is something shocking that I discovered looking at this uh, film on IMDb. Because during The Devil's Advocate, a thought ran through my head. I said, "I am feeling an energy right now that I've only felt in one other movie, which happens to be one of my like top five movies of all time." That Is it Nick of Time? <laughs> no, it's not. Close. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, Patrick, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Well, this this is a movie, The Devil's Advocate. Um, the movie is Shooter. Is it? Is it Frozen? No, it's Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. And Shooter by with Mark Wahlberg has the same sort of, like, it's not camp, but almost. It's not winking at you, but almost. And it's just like an entertainment experience. And wouldn't you know it that the screenwriter of The Devil's Advocate has only like a handful of, of credits and only a... Wait, which? There are two screenwriters. Is it Tony Gilroy? No, it's Jonathan Lemkin. Okay. But he adapted both The Devil's Advocate and Shooter from their respective novels. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I thought of Shooter when I was watching this movie because of just a je ne sais quoi about how <laughs> it was just a blast from start to finish in a funny way without really being deliberately uh, campy, I guess, is the word. I did forget well, that she- Tony Gilroy co-wrote this, which is also pretty notable. Yeah. Like an almost almost every horror movie on netflix connection there um because he he is the brother of the gilroy who wrote uh or directed velvet buzzsaw right Mm, mm -hmm. and he and he wrote nightcrawler which is a film chris has feelings about that i still have wait i think that's dan gilroy too 
Patrick and I, uh, yeah, we both have feelings about that on different sides of the coin. Yeah, Nightcrawler yeah, Nightcrawl- Night I- is Dan Gilroy. No, but Tony Gilroy wrote it. No, he didn't. Or at least co-wrote it. Did he produce it? He did something on it Produced because I just it, yeah. looked this up right before we, we talked. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, everyone go watch Mark Wahlberg and Shooter. End of, end of, end of debate. End of story. How do we get back on back on the rails here? <laughs> We've got Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. They are buddies. They are tearing up New York City. Yucking it up. They are yucking, yucking it, it up. up. Every like 20 minutes, Al Pacino just delivers a high energy monologue about something ridiculous. Um, there's Keanu Reeves is, is tempted by sin many times, especially when it comes to women. Uh, we have a little stable of like vampire brides basically that hang out with the devil and are in the law office and are always uh, alluring. And Charlie's Theron is, you know, maybe, maybe not hallucinating as she's like, you know, basically this like her subplot turns into bridesmaids sort of (laughs) her hanging out with with the devil's brides and trying on dresses and being forced to drink more wine than she would like and she starts having starts seeing them turn into demons and she's being asked to touch their breasts and see if they're real and all this kind of pseudo kinky sort of stuff and Keanu thinks she's crazy because he's not around to see her day to day and and Charlize gets most of the straight horror content in this movie it's not it's a true. particularly scary movie um the scenes where it does try to be scary are usually through the eyes of Charlize. And pretty, I would say pretty creepy stuff. I was surprised. I mean, like going into this, we'd, we'd have this conversation before we even watched the movie for the show after you'd selected it, Chris, of like, it, does this really belong in the horror category? I will say categorically it has a lot of horror imagery in it. Yeah. Some pretty spooky shit. Well, and it's early CG. Well, not super early, but it's, it's you know, it's 90s CG and it doesn't look great, but it it works pretty well. I it jumped. Works for me. Yeah. I jumped. I jumped in fright. Jump looks, scare worked on me. Looks decent. And I, and I think they also make the smart choice of not overexposing the CG. You usually see it in pretty brief glimpses where someone's face will quickly turn into a demon face or there'll be like demon hands running up someone's skin like underneath their skin and that stuff is creepy and effective and more creepy and effective i think because they show it to you fairly briefly before you can start really looking at it and then going ah uh, that doesn't look quite right before you well, before it turns because... into before it turns into uh spawn territory Huh. Right, I thought of Spawn because these movies I think came out around the same time. What year was this? Ninety seven. Ninety same year as Spawn, yeah. And um so a beautiful year, there. a great year for cinema and a great year, year for, for every horror movie on Netflix. Uh, for context, I think Men in Black came out that year and that still looks amazing. Um but the the scene where like Charlie's Theron is trying on dresses with her neighbor uh, who lives across the hall from her, you know, that's where we see our first kind of glimpse of a, a demon face is her neighbor, the, the one who also asks Charlize to touch her breasts uh, that have been touched up to see if they feel real. We do get an extended shot of of this woman, her face contorting, revealing kind of a death's head sort of grin, and then the camera pans down and we see the hands uh, like demon arms writhing within her body as it pans down her entire body. And 
it's so jarring because we haven't seen any surreal imagery in this movie so far that the special effects might have been terrible, but I just bought it because it came out of fucking nowhere. And I, I think that's sort of like the turning point for this movie where suddenly like we are in actual horror territory. You know what I liked? What did you like? This is, I mean, this is nothing to do with anything in particular, but I liked this one particular scene where uh, the Lomaxes go to a party hosted by John Milton up in the, you know, the penthouse suite of this weird ass tower that everybody in the fucking Satan cult lives in. And Charlize is very nervous. You know, she tells Keanu, don't leave me alone for a minute, you know? And of course he ends up leaving her alone and, Pacino comes in, sits down with her, and I really, really liked that scene. I really liked the interplay between them. I liked the acting. Oh my god, yes. I loved how Pacino played the layers of a guy who is obviously flirting with her and obviously has other designs on her, but who is kind of cleverly playing like the nice guy who doesn't want anybody to you know think that anything uh, inappropriate is going on and i liked the way she was subtly responding to him i just i thought that was a great just great kind of subtle character building and relationship building work between the two of them i just really enjoyed that that scene good stuff it was an awesome scene and like i love i mean the chemist like the way that that character builds chemistry with her as well and sort of plays upon her insecurities and he's trying to get her to feel to come out of her shell a bit he also like wants keanu to see them but keanu is like so disinterested because he's he'd rather hobnob with all these you know rich people in fact donald trump was supposed to be at this party but he had a business emergency (laughs) apparently uh he doesn't even notice that this is going on right in plain sight i patrick i also really love that scene i think i liked it especially because you know we think of Pacino as being such an over-the-top actor and of course he often is but it's easy to forget that you know he's also the guy from The Godfather and he can do that very subtle shit and he's you know he is who he is for more than you know just screaming which I mean the screaming is great but he can also do like the important stuff too and it's always yeah. nice to to see that and remember it and go, wow, this guy, uh, he's good. He's good. Yeah, it, it might have been the best scene in the movie, uh, mm. quite possibly. I forgot I was dealing with the devil in that moment. Like, I was so charmed by it and how, like, we finally get to see, like, somebody actually pay attention to Charlize and, like, tell her, like, you're beautiful. And you know what? Like, you could feel even more beautiful if you just make some subtle tweaks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's there something very charming about that. As the devil is charming. That's what they tell me. Good stuff. Good scene. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, plotty, plot-wise, plotty shit uh craig t nelson shows up he's killed his wife and his family or did he keanu's got to figure that out and defend him in the process that's that and this was if the if the movie has uh you know a downside to me that whole stuff kind of lost me i felt like the whole drama of you know what actually happened with craig t nelson uh i i got a little bogged down in that it's but it's okay so like screenwriting wise i mean this is a long fucking movie it's two and a half hours Mm -hmm. at this point at this point 
Keanu's in it. We know shit's going wrong and that he's unaware of it and he's on his power trip. We need a big case for him to prove himself. But it ends up being kind of all for naught because he feels conflicted about it later on. And Pacino says, I'll, I'll support whatever you do. I'll support whether you basically whether you defend him or whether or not you you let go of this and you just let him you know let him be punished for this murder that may or may not have happened i I don't even know after seeing this movie whether or not i believe whether or not craig t nelson murdered his family but it does feel i mean craig t nelson's fucking awesome love to see him in anything but it does feel just like extra padding Mm-hmm. to keep the movie running at that point i don't know i i loved all of it i mean i don't mind a legal thriller in general so it didn't bother me that the movie just kind of turns into a pretty by the numbers legal thriller for all the craig t nelson scenes um so that's like that's like second act shit and i feel like this is a five act movie and maybe that's where maybe i just approached it wrong i don't know but i mean it's it's a simple movie as a simple premise as a simple plot there's not a lot yeah. of twists and turns really you know he's a fucking working in the law firm for the devil and you got to give him some cases to play around with that concept, I guess. But like, I can't even, other than that concept, like scene to scene, I don't even know if there's any conflict as much as it's just a tour de force of watching Keanu Reeves have a blast with Al Pacino, who is just the life of any party. And seeing Charlize Theron suffer. And seeing Charlize <laughs> Theron <of> suffer. <laughs> Charlize Theron, she of 25 on-screen deaths. <laughs> is there, Dude, can we many? talk about the bonkers-ass scene? And this is such a weird scene to talk about because, I mean, again, I, I referenced it once already, but eventually Pacino's character ends up brutally raping her, but which is horrifying, obviously, but also the scene and the way in which it's revealed is so over the top i mean it's it's yeah it's exploitative yet also just like so jaw-droppingly bizarre the way this is revealed like keanu finds her in a church she's wrapped up in a blanket she's telling him about what happened and then eventually she just stands up and drops the blanket and she is completely naked you see full frontal nudity and she's just covered in these like scratches and it's just you know talk about extra what an extra scene i worry about charlie's there and i'm worried about her because like as a person or her character as a person i i worry when i see her in these these roles because uh early in her career she did quite a bit of nudity if i recall and since she kind of became a star, I don't know if she's done any. And she's been on record that, like, she had some Me Too experiences with directors and stuff. I'm sure. And so I I just feel uncomfortable when I reflect on her doing nudity in, in her early roles. Like, it's something she was, uh, you know, had to do or felt like she needed to do to advance her career. And, you know. As opposed, I mean, there's several actresses who who do full frontal nudity when they're young, and then they do it once they don't have to do it anymore. It's just something that they don't mind doing. Charlize doesn't seem to be one of those actresses. Full, I, I I thought about this a lot while watching this movie too. That like full frontal nudity was a huge deal in the '90s. You know, you think about like Halle Berry, you know, doing full frontal and you know whatever that first movie was she did. Like it was so controversial. Does that really? I don't know. Is that is that a thing anymore? 
Like, is that like a selling point for a movie, for like a big Hollywood movie? I just don't feel like we, no. we see that now, which is, I, we grew, which is we fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic that that's the case. Um, thank you for confirming. I that. don't know if it's not, but certainly not as much as it was. Yeah, so I mean, the, basically, the, that, that's your movie. You know, we're, we're tangoing with the devil. We got Keanu Reeves playing around with Al Pacino. He's getting deeper and deeper working for this firm. Charlize Theron is, you know, kind of going out of her mind as she's seeing visions uh, straight from hell, and no one's taking her seriously. Rosemary's Baby situation again. Chris, since you picked this movie and you basically had thought you had seen it but didn't really know, what did you think? Would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Oh, The Devil's Advocate is a unequivocal view it for me. Well, Whoa. I'm, I'm going to equivocate a little bit. <laughs> okay. Way to walk it back. It's a view it. Um, it's just so much fun for at least two hours. And I mean, it's just pure entertainment. It's it's just, I can't give it enough of Al Pacino. Keanu Reeves is killing it too. The semi-cheesy, semi-campy horror devil trap things are just the icing on the cake i thought the legal drama stuff was very interesting but i like legal drama kind of movies i like courtroom dramas i understand some people don't um the end of the movie kind of fell off the rails for me the last half hour or so i'm like all right you're stretching and and this is not the kind of conclusion i think you were leading up to and it's a little hokey but i mean it's a hokey ass movie from start to finish but um certainly a flawed film certainly plenty of errors in form execution sometimes it's not high art by any means it may be politically uh uh offensive depending on how you feel about defense attorneys and how you read their intent with some of these scenes but it's just so much fucking fun that I have to give it a view it. It's so much fun. View it. Awesome. <laughs> Patrick? Oh, I, I'm going to second the unequivocal view it, but I'm also going to equivocate, except in the inverse of the way that Chris equivocated. Because Wait, so are you, Patrick, hold on. Let me get this here. Are you Are you playing the devil's advocate right now? to chris i mean always when am i not <laughs> one of my first experiences with this movie by the way there was a throwaway gag in a simpsons episode that i remember vividly where the family's having an argument and homer's like marge can i play devil's advocate and then it like jump cuts to him playing a devil's advocate pinball machine <laughs> and wow then he continues the conversation <laughs> wow Wonderful. Yeah, but I'm right. going to make sort of the inverse of the comment Chris made about the legal thriller versus the final stretch of the movie. The legal thriller stuff, as I already said, is where, I mean, obviously the whole movie is a legal thriller, but to me it got a little bogged down in that legal thriller stuff, as I already mentioned, with the whole Craig T. Nelson drama. And that was where it lost me. The last half hour of this movie, I am all in, baby. This movie turns it up to fucking 11,000 and I love it. I fucking love the last 20, 30 minutes of this movie. It's insane. Steven. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm going to give it a cue it, though. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a masterpiece of any kind. Obviously, it's very over the top. It's very absurd. But I had a lot of fun with it. And I enjoyed that it was a fun 
character study and legal drama that also managed to, you know, kind of subtly in, invoke horror elements. It's a blast. Pacino and Keanu having the time of their lives. I just want to hang out with the two of them for the rest of my life. Charlize Theron gives a really strong performance. Many surprising moments. A completely wild, head-spinning, over-the-top finale. Mm. In the last 20 minutes of this, I texted Patrick last night. I, I had to take a break to finish laundry, which I was actually upset to have to tear myself away from the screen. When I came back, I thought I was watching a completely different movie. And I was just delighted for that. I mean, Steven, you gave it a cue it, but can we at least agree that that last half hour is a view it? Oh, yeah. And also, I full disclosure, you know, this is a movie that's been kind of, we've talked about this already, it's a movie that's been kind of like part of my knowledge of film since I was a kid just because it was one of those things people talked about when it came out and I know I've seen clips on YouTube from the last half hour of this movie before but nothing compares to the build up and the payoff when you actually watch the whole thing Mm. I mean we'll get into it the last shot of this movie is there have been very few times that I've literally jumped out of my seat laughing and cheering alone watching a movie. <laughs> and this movie did it for me. Oh. Uh, that said, I can't. I can't really give it a view it because it's you know it's 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 wholly ridiculous. It's very long, uh, but if if our conversation has made this sound at all appealing to you, definitely go and watch it relatively soon at least before it leaves netflix you know i'm going to put a call out to our listeners because i would i want to hear what other people think of this movie because some like this movie does a lot of stuff wrong (laughs) and i'm like is this movie just feeding me like like male power fantasy dog food like i would really like a woman's perspective on this movie because i feel like there's something about like a toxic masculine fantasy that this movie heavily relies on for its entertainment value and i don't know how it would relate to someone who's not like just like a white dude who you know thinks all this stuff is cool well i can i i can at least provide perspective as a as a queer man like i was thoroughly disgusted by keanu reeves behavior throughout the entire film and i still found myself following the beats and getting drawn into it i mean i wanted the worst for him but i still couldn't take my eyes away from it well i would of course i would love to hear other perspectives especially given this movie this movie came out over 20 years ago you know yeah i want i want to hear from someone who saw it on opening night <laughs> <laughs> we could probably talk to our old friend bill for that no, we probably could well hey before we go to the spoiler room i have two things to say about actually completely different things not about this i have a spiel and then I have a surprise. The spiel is the normal thing. Go to everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, click the merch shop, merch store, merch store link, and buy our t-shirts. Follow us on social media, Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, on all your social media platforms. Review and subscribe on your podcast provider of choice, and tell your friends about us. Uh, we love it when you do that, and it helps people find the show. What's also, the surprise? The surprise is, all right, so you the listeners know we've done a couple of these special episodes we did one where we reviewed every final destination movie ever that was oh, a blast. i know what it is i know what the surprise is 
Yeah, I mean, you both know what it is because it's collectively a surprise, surprise to the for listeners. Everybody. No, I know because Patrick, you didn't mention what it was earlier, and I think Chris forgot. Yeah, okay. Tell them, tell them, Patrick, tell them. Oh my God, Stephen just went into night vision mode. Whoa, what is happening? Oh yeah, that is spooky as fuck. Oh, oh, shit. Shit. Seal team, also, Seal team six also, about to also assassinate my- Stephen. My Spoiler name on cell. Zoom is Pacino, by the way, <laughs> for our listeners. I, I'm about to, yeah, all right. All right, Patrick, tell, tell the Steve, surprise. Steven's apartment directed by Catherine Bigelow right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I see that red dot on my forehead right now. Oh, my God. Right. Okay, the surprise is, so you, the listeners, know we've done these episodes before where, you know, a few months ago we reviewed every Final Destination movie ever. That was a blast. Last Halloween we reviewed every Halloween movie ever. That was, was a blast. That was two Halloweens ago, two wasn't Halloweens it? Two Halloweens ago? Holy shit. Wasn't We've it? been doing this for so long. I don't even know. But yeah, it yes, it will, it, it will be this coming Halloween. Yes, it will have been two years. But we're doing it again this year for Halloween. We're going to watch, review, and discuss every Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever. And that's going to be coming out, I don't know, sometime in October. We'll figure out when. We'll keep you posted. But we just wanted to let you know early so that you can get stoked. Because we're stoked. And so you can just start watching them because there's a shit ton of them. There's fucking... There's, there's a lot. Are, seven. We, are we doing the remake? We're doing the we remake. Got... We're doing Freddy versus Jason. So I think that's oh, nine yeah. in total. That sounds about we right. Got yeah, we might, we, Nightmare on Elm Street. We got Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. My favorite. My we absolute favorite. Have a poster in my living room. Fucking Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream, Dream Warriors. Warriors. We got fucking Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream the Masters. <laughs> we got Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Days Child. Days of Future Past. We got Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. We got Wes Craven's New Nightmare. We got the Freddy's Phantom vs. Menace. My second favorite. We got Nightmare on Elm Street with Jackie Earl Haley. It's going to be a trip. You bet you got a lot of work to do, listeners, before you, Halloween. We might, have, we might have to break it up into two apps. Guys, you know. Right. Well, how many Halloween movies are there? We did, what, like 10 fucking Halloween 10. movies? We're just going to set the chess timer and, and we're yeah. going to blaze through them. We got to just blast through them. But you know we're what gonna the be, sick we're thing gonna be is? We're going to grandmasters of the Nightmare on Elm Street saga. Y'all know why I'm a sick fuck because I know why you're a sick fuck. <laughs> you know the latest reason why I'm a sick fuck <laughs> is because I watched this entire franchise last Halloween. It's been less than a year since I did this, and I'm about to do it again because A, I love the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and B, I love Amon listeners. And we love Halloween, and what what a good way to celebrate because we can't go outside. <laughs> yeah, true. So anyways, that's happening. All right. Well, I'm going to grab a Dunkachino, and then we're going to go down to the spoiler room. <laughs> <laughs> the spoiler room break music has to be the Dunkachino's music. Yeah. Oh, yes. We'll, we'll do that. All right. So we're going to go down to the spoiler room, and when we come back, we're going to tell you about this crazy final act of The Devil's Advocate. Stick around. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, whoa, lucky light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. 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 
Welcome back. We're down in the spoiler room, ready to spoil everything about Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves. And oh, spoiler room. We're in the spoiler penthouse, baby. Oh yeah, We're we took the, the elevator up. We took it up to the penthouse where the where the revelations come on uh, at a rapid pace. Donald Trump was supposed to be here, but he didn't show up. It's thick and frequent. There's no bed up here. We don't know how Pacino bangs all these bitches because there's nowhere to sleep, nowhere to lay down. It's all hard surfaces, angular, sharp. So here's what you need to know. There's a pivotal scene uh, midway through the movie where Keanu Reeves' Bible-thumping mother comes up to visit from the Deep South, and she has a... Oh, man. I forgot about this scene. I (laughs) I honestly forgot about how this twist is introduced, and I just want to... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to preface your explanation by saying that I rewatched this scene like three times to understand what the fuck had happened. I saw it once, and I don't remember it at all i remember it not really registering it's, it's pretty me. simple so let's hear it's it. pretty simple we know that she's a god-fearing woman she comes up to new york she wish she doesn't like the idea in new york anyway she thinks babylon it's a, a babylon um and she yeah. she gets in the elevator you know and and uh, al pacino's there being cordial with her and she is unnerved and i thought it was just a you know like a she she saw the devil when she was four kind of thing where oh she can God. like is it two is it two eps in a row yeah. that you reference a covenant yeah, <laughs> like i just thought it was like she knows the devil because she's such a holy woman and she just knows it when she sees it uh well late in the movie um basically charlie's theron has a complete mental breakdown she's not actually crazy but she sure seems like it she's raving about demons and stuff uh so she ends up slitting her own throat uh in the mental ward right in front of keanu reeves she's dead she is dead. Heartbreaking scene. That was that was honestly horrifying. A horrifying yeah. scene. It was Especially horrifying. just because it felt very real and very practical the way... I mean, because there's supernatural shit in this movie, obviously, but Charlize blocks the door with a, uh, with a chair and Keanu's just trying to batter down that window. I, I had seen those windows that have, like, the chicken wire in them, and I assumed it was, like to reinforce the window somehow but i learned more thoroughly how that's supposed to work and how it successfully prevents people from like breaking through a window and it was surprisingly an impactful scene just because you learned something about the mechanical nature of a chicken wire window (laughs) yeah just because i learned something new about building materials you know it just really left an impression on me yeah yeah this this movie did more for me than than years of bob vila ever did (laughs) yeah so so okay now that's the second reference to bob vila in like three episodes i think so that's also an impressive record yeah keanu is just it's impossible for him to breach this this sturdy union installed door <laughs> and Char- Charlize decides she has nothing to live for because uh, Keanu is an absentee husband. Uh, she her ovaries have been mysteriously taken from her by the devil. Apparently, uh, oh, she's been sexually battered and abused by the devil. Everyone she knows, literally everyone she knows except Keanu, is a demon at this point. (laughs) So she just says, what's the point? She cuts her throat. It's a horrifying sequence. Then we find out that the the reason Keanu's mother was so unnerved was not because she knew he was the devil necessarily, but because... Years ago, she was taken advantage of in a hotel on a trip to New York by Al Pacino. And he is Keanu Reeves' father. Now, 
This is a twist I really did not need. I don't know how you guys felt about it. No, I didn't need this. This is very just Empire Strikes Back, like just too much. No, I didn't need it, but I loved it. Oh, I did not like it at all. Because, I mean, here's the thing. It's like Michael Myers always trying to kill his sister. It's like, I like the idea that the devil can, this could happen to anybody who just is in Keanu's position. If, you, if you're if you ambitious enough, if you cross paths with the raw, you could cross paths with the devil anywhere. You kind of lose some of that mystique when it's like, well, the devil actually was watching you from birth because you're his son and you need to fulfill a prophecy. I just don't like the chosen one shit. But to me, this There's, sets up the entire, you know, again, the last 20 to 30 minutes of the movie, which as we've already noted, we disagree on, but it sets up that entire final dynamic where Al Pacino is trying to get Keanu Reeves to reproduce with his own sister or half sister so that they can have the antichrist and I don't know where else this movie goes without that twist in the plot, but I'm pretty sure I like it less. But like, okay, if his if his mom is such a religious zealot and she's so insecure about him moving to New York and she comes to visit him in New York, like, how has she not told him this at any point in his life? That's where I'm kind of lost. Well, where he it feels knew his like father was, the- wasn't in the picture, but she didn't know who the father was, much less that he was the devil himself. Well, she doesn't seem, I mean, if she's as religious as she seems like she is, is that a reaction to this experience? Or like, Could be. Yeah. did she sleep or did she sleep around a lot when she was around the age that she would have had him? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I read it that, I, and I mean, it doesn't matter that much to me, but I guess I read it that her religiousness is a reaction to that, her experience in Babylon. But, you know, by this point, Keanu's headed up to here. There's also, you know, his life's going to hell in other pieces. You know, senior partner, or the managing director of the firm has been murdered by demons. Uh, he's been approached by federal investigators who got hit by deus ex machina cars. Amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's realizing that, you know, Craig T. Nelson, that he got off the hook, was not only probably a murderer, but maybe also uh, sexually abusing his stepdaughter. Uh, he's just he's having a bad fucking week to put it mildly so he decides enough is enough he's gonna go up to John Milton's penthouse he crosses a deserted street in New York City which I thought was visual effects but I guess they actually closed down that street uh, which is cool yeah I just read that today too because I, I, that to me I just saw that and I was like there's no way they didn't do that without CGI or like a matte painting or something. And it turns out at like 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday, they actually managed to shut down a busy street. Oh, yeah, I actually, cool. uh, weirdly, my instinct when I saw that was, oh yeah, they shut down a street. I mean, it looks it looks real and it, it didn't look like a matte painting. And I don't know that they had the CG at the time to fully sell it. I mean, it looks, it looks real. And it but is. There are, there is some, I, I, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, um, which I say more often than I would like lately on this show. But there is some weird, like, green screen stuff in this movie. Yeah. So, like, I was kind of, like, prepared to accept that that might be the case with this scene. Ooh. Like, there's a whole, like, late night balcony scene where, like, <laughs> even the lights, even the lanterns out on the patio seem to be CG. And it's, like, clearly shot during the yeah, day. Yeah, it's like they, they didn't quite have access to all of the luxurious real estate that they wanted to put across in this movie but it's all fine what we get's fine so 
Keanu goes up to Al Pacino's penthouse. He's had enough. Uh, basically, as soon as Al Pacino confesses to raping Charlize, Keanu Reeves pulls out Craig T. Nelson's gun, unloads it into Al Pacino to no effect. He just hoo-hahs around it. <laughs> and he ends Oh, man. Up- and I mean, this is like one of Al Pacino's showpiece monologues in this whole oh, thing. Yeah. I mean, oh, this yeah. Is, this yeah. is top two monologue. This is, you know, his two peaks in the movie because he's this- always operating at a pretty high level in this movie. But yeah, this is one of his. He's clipping. He's clipping in this scene. He's clipping. Can I interject something really quickly? This is just from Wikipedia. I didn't look at the source. But apparently Pacino turned down this script three times because he thought the character was too cartoonish. He thought it was it was too just sort of like like one dimensional. Hmm. I, I have to wonder if like this is at a point in his career where he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. I have a feeling that like he might have improved a lot of that scene and a couple of other scenes in this movie. He just wanted to have uh, just some to justify fun. taking on the role. Yeah, he wanted to have some fun. I don't know, but yeah, he as he dodges these bullets. He's like, "Yeah, I'm the devil himself. I'm your dad. Strap the fuck in because I have some thoughts about capitalism, the state of the world, world economies, the nature of good and evil, sin, pleasure, greed, vanity, all my favorite sins, your whole life, the state of the legal." system incest the second coming the prophecy this is like a fucking hideo kojima level fucking end of game monologue that lasts it feels like it lasts 20 fucking minutes right (laughs) oh this 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 monologue could be your life and he rants about it as the statues on the wall behind him come to life in amazing fashion which really adds nothing to the scene and they it's spent fucking ha- sweet they spent half their special effects budget yeah <laughs> and they got sued i don't know if it was successful yeah, or not but they, they settled wait for what so the 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 the, the abs the sort of abstract sculpture on the wall behind pacino's desk which then uh emerges you know figures emerge from it is very similar to a like 1970s sculpture that is on the front of a cathedral in new york i think Mm -hmm. um and so the sculptor sued um Wow. This is, you know, we're not that smart. We just read this on Wikipedia. The, the the Wikipedia entry for The Devil's Advocate is surprisingly thorough. So if you're interested yes, in, in fun facts and trivia, check it out. Oh, you mean you didn't independently know that the sculptor sued the Listen, makers of I, The Devil's Advocate? You're like, we're not that smart. It was a big deal, though, because it actually apparently, according to Wikipedia, didn't have time to follow the footnotes because I read this like 20 minutes before we started talking, but apparently it actually impacted the home video release of this movie. Yeah. And there were versions of this that came out with a sticker like saying that like we didn't rip off this sculpture. We wow. didn't rip off this sculpture that you've never heard of. Person who just walked into like Mammoth Video to to rent a fucking copy of The Devil's Advocate on VHS. Wow. I really liked that whole bit because in addition to the CG of the sculpture sort of swirling and whatever, which was fine, I liked the shots where they actually replicated the sculpture but then put actors in makeup in it where they were like frozen yeah. like human statues and then suddenly started moving. That was dope. Well, that, that, that's what cost like 40% of the special effects budget is like having those actors. It took them three months to shoot that apparently. And wow. they react. They react like a Greek core 
Boris to the events of the scene, which is interesting. It's beautiful. It's, great. it's beautiful. It's so. It's like 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 I feel like the devil made this movie because who else would like spare no expense for something just so like luxuriant and needless? That is the moment where this production goes from a movie to end film. Oh, and, God. and not end film, but and film. God. Well, I, it really didn't do anything no, for Chris, me. No, Chris, not God. I mean, the the Pacino monologues are great, but I still had a hard time. I was like, I don't really need the the father son chosen one subplot. And now we're like, okay, so here's the like you know femme fatale that we've been you know lusting after all movie is here. Connie and- Nielsen in her debut role, Hippolyta from Wonder Woman. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, he's like, you know, he's supposed to have sex with her, even though she's his half sister, apparently. And doing so, will, I guess, conceive the Antichrist. But which like, makes we, no sense. It makes no Wait, sense. Okay, hold but on a I minute. What is the? Uh, I'm I'm pleading ignorance here. What is the difference between the devil and the Antichrist? The I I think the Antichrist is is. Uh, something's it's like the devil is like the the puppeteer, and then the antichrist is someone who is born on earth and and takes on the armies of heaven during Armageddon. Okay. If I got it right, so where does Spawn fit into this? Oh, he, he's <laughs> Mel um, Bolger for that matter. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> well, we know Mel Bolger is Bay. That's where he fits in. You'll have to you'll have to ask a priest about that one, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or William Friedkin. But I love like, that. I love that our show is so impenetrable that we regularly reference our very first episode, like on oh, a yeah, go, regular. Go basis. back and listen. Welcome to podcast. If you haven't been here, here from go. the beginning. <laughs> but no, yeah, so that's the thing. But it's like, you know, this isn't really the erotic fantasy that Keanu's had in, in, in his mind the whole movie. Because, like, she's just, like, sprawled out on Al Pacino's desk. Al Pacino is just leering at them from, like, over her shoulder. Not very appetizing. Not very enticing. But, I mean, long story short, do we need to talk about anything besides Keanu's decision, I guess? No, no, he Keanu he free will baby blows his fucking brains. He out. blows his brains Turns out. Turns out the whole thing is a Jacob's ladder scenario. In 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 killing himself, he not only like you know melts El Pacino back to his like fallen angel form and then into oblivion, but he wakes up back in the bathroom at the Florida courthouse where we started this movie, about to go out and defend this pedophile. Amazing. Only this time he decides you know he has a second chance. And this time he decides he's not going to defend the pedophile. He's going to remove himself from the case, even though he may face disbarment in doing so. And he leaves as he's walking out with Charlize Theron, who's alive again because this is, you know, a second chance at life. A uh, a very uh, enthusiastic reporter tracks him down and says, hey, man, sell your story to me. I'll make you a star. And Charlize and Keanu look at each other and Keanu cannot say no. And then, Stephen, would you like to describe your favorite shot of the movie? <laughs> oh, this is your favorite, favorite shot? shot of the movie, man. It, well, I, I would. I mean, probably mine yeah, too. Sure. Probably mine too. Might as well be the reporter fucking transforms, transmogrifies, anamorphs. He anamorphs into Al Pacino, and man, 
vanity is his favorite he sin. He says, ah, vanity, my favorite sin. It's like iris out and credits. And then we have <laughs> flames. flames. Just flames everywhere. It's like the beginning of Blade Runner. Just flames oh bursting God. out of nowhere. It's like the premise of this movie is so simple. And I mean, the concept of someone making a deal with a devil is a story, you know, that dates back to the concept of the devil. Um, and so it's such a simple sort of morality tale at its heart. You can, you could, you know, visualize someone just telling us around the campfire in ancient times. Uh, and, and so I, I, it's like, it's almost like knock knock. Like it's set up to have like a, prestige like we we have a, a a star-studded cast to tell you the story of the young attorney who was seduced by the devil but then they just make the creative choice from start to finish where everything's just gonna chew the fucking scenery for maximum entertainment value <laughs> mm-hmm. well to be fa- to be fair to be fair it's faust and i mean like there are productions or versions of faust that are probably three hour stage productions where we get the same kind of beats and the same kind of twist at the end i don't i don't think that's anything new it's just kind of weird to see that play out with like in the 90s with this cast and this director and in this kind of uh these kinds of stylistic flourishes it's a tale as old as time or as old as devil as you said um but it, it it was still even though I know that tale, it was still fairly jarring to me that, that that's how this movie ended. Had it not been Al Pacino, I don't know how I would have felt. If it had been a lesser actor, if it had been Oh, a, yeah. I mean, even if you put, like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson pops to mind as far as, like, someone who is also kind of comically over the top in the same way. But even if you put Nicholson, who I love in there... I don't. I don't know if I if I love this as much. No, you don't, because Al Pacino he 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 can be the devil, but he can flip and he can be that sincere, yeah. charming guy so yeah. often. And so I don't know if I've weird. ever seen. Have you ever seen Jack Nicholson be charming in a movie? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah, for Every sure. Movie. I mean, he's he's ugly as he's kind of charming he in Batman, charm. I guess. <laughs> Every movie. Uh and we forgot to mention that that final shot, that final line is also delivered directly to the camera. He speaks directly to us. Oh, yeah. So just like Jonathan Demi talk Fujimoto style. Just like yeah. we're looking right at you, Love baby. It. Love it. We see you. Oh, man. <laughs> Love yep. it. It's so campy, but it's, you know, like, what do you, what do you make of that ending? What do you make of the the moral implications of this movie? Because, I mean... At the end of the day, we have this long fantasy where Keanu Reeves makes all the worst possible decisions, plays into the devil's deal, and he extricates himself from it. We come back to the real world. We come back to that moment in the bathroom uh, when this all started, and he makes the right decision, and he's still damned. What do you think about that? I was starting to scratch my head during late in the movie where I was like Keanu Reeves his character like he's been the same stubborn son of a bitch the whole movie and even in the ending sequence I'm not sure he becomes less of a stubborn son of a bitch I mean he kills himself to get out of a situation where he really has no good alternative but I don't I I think fundamentally he doesn't really learn the lesson that he's supposed to learn 
we, we get the whole, you know, the bulk of the movie. He's playing the devil's game. He's in it. He doesn't realize what's going on. He gets out of it. And maybe him reevaluating that case that he was working on with the child molester in the beginning when he returns to it, he's just trying to save his own ass. He doesn't really care. Or he's, you know, made the first step on the journey that he needs to make, but he, he hasn't had enough time to, to, to reconsider his, his core values well, enough. To, yeah, to me, it made perfect sense. It reminded me of a Choose Your Own Adventure novel where, you know, you've now flipped through all these pages, you know, you've gone through, you decided to sign up with the <laughs> devil's law firm, you decided to do all these things, whatever, and and then you decided to shoot yourself and and then you die and it's over and it's like, oh, let me flip back to the part where I defended the child molester and let's not defend the child molester this time. And and I mean, I'm, I'm phrasing this in a humorous way and it is humorous, but also like that's that's the 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 depth with with which that character uh, examines that scenario. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Oh, it all went wrong when I was like defending the wrong people." But no, he's a rotten person to begin with, who is too invested in his own vanity. And he has more work to do. I guess where I got kind of thrown up in this movie is we go from the reporter turning into Al Pacino to <laughs> fucking flames. Like, I just assume, all right, well, he's in hell now. He's done. He doesn't get a second chance. But I guess the like the flames might be misleading. He's going to have another, you know, he's he, he's going to have another trial and he's going to have to keep learning. It's like this maybe potentially Sisyphean sort of thing where he has to keep Retre- you know, climbing up and then retreading his past and 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 bettering himself. But the way the movie ends, I just felt like, oh shit, he doesn't get a second chance. He's dead because there are, there are fireballs flying at me while the credits are coming. That's a really <laughs> interesting over. interpretation. I didn't read it that way, but I mean, I don't really know what happens if you're the son of the devil and you reject his bargain and shoot yourself in the head. I don't know if you get a second chance or if you just go to hell. So it's impossible gotta, to say. You know, I, I think the answer is fuck the Matrix 4 or whatever. We need the devil's advocate too. <laughs> yeah, we need the devil's yes. advocate too, one hundred percent. I this I've never wanted a sequel Honestly, more in my would life. Love to see it. I will say again, just from Wikipedia, but apparently the the author of the book wrote a prequel novel and then optioned it for a series called The Devil's Advocate. Fuck that shit. And it didn't Fuck it that didn't shit. work out. Didn't work out. I, I want, want the prequel sequel. though. I want, I want the sequel. sequel. But there's, I mean, apparently there was enough interest in a prequel that perhaps we could get a sequel. I mean, guys, we have a, we have a shitload of listeners. We, we, we pretty much dominate the <laughs> podcasting field. I, I think with this very episode, we can get that thing made. We can get Keanu on board. Everyone who listens to this episode needs to contribute $1,000 to the Kickstarter <laughs> we're going to start for Devil's Advocate Send Al Pacino a postcard. Send it to we'll send a postcard to Adam Sandler because apparently Al Pacino will do anything for Adam Sandler. All right, so that's your movie, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's Patrick's turn to pick the next one. So what the hell yeah. are we watching in two oh, weeks, shit. Patrick? Well, you know what? I'm going to imprison Stephen in the spoiler room for blowing this earlier in the episode, but I'm going to pick Death Note. You know what? I'm into it. Had, I'm into it. Willem Dafoe, baby. I had a whole list of movies here, and I was like. 
I want to watch Death Note. I enjoyed the graphic novel. I have not heard great things about the movie, but I'm still curious to see how it turns out. Then when Steven was like, oh, are you going to pick Death Note? I was like, ah, shit, I should pick something else on this list. But I want to see Death Note too much. I want to see what they did with it. I want to see Willem Dafoe voice the Death Demon. So, yeah, we're doing it. That's great, because when I discuss a movie, I love to have someone in the conversation who's like, well, actually, in the book, it was like this. No, I, I, you know, I hate those people. <laughs> I hate looking at, and, and this, is a, this is a very big philosophical thing for me. I don't like judging adaptations too much based on their source material. If anyone wants to hear notes from the book, I'm happy to offer them, but I like to judge adaptations on their own merits. And if they do something significantly shittier than the source material (coughs) watchmen i will drag you for fucking ever but like an adaptation is an opportunity to take interesting source material and bring it into a new medium in an interesting way which doesn't need to entail faithfully replicating every fucking detail of the source material so i sorry for the soapbox moment but i feel very passionately about that issue that's good that was that was a pacino-esque moment All right. Well, that's it for us until two weeks from tonight when we watch Death Note. Until then, talk to us on social media if you're so inclined. Troll us. Troll us. We'll troll you back, maybe. Uh, But until then, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. Goodbye. Goodbye.